next week we'll have those invitations uh, ready to go. Uh, it sounds a bit better, doesn't it? Now there's something coming through there. Good, good, excellent. And there was a second thing, and it's just escaped my mind at the moment what it was going to be. I should have written it down, shouldn't I? I'm going to count to three and see what happens. Nothing happened, okay. <laughs> Nothing happened. That's all right. Um, so we are looking at reconciliation today as we think about uh, Second Corinthians. We go through our uh, sermon series on that. Um, I read this story the other day which was uh, quite amusing but also at the same time did actually uh, begin to get us thinking about um, reconciliation and it was this. I'll just get my passage here. Uh, One New Year's Eve at London's Garrick Club, British dramatist or dramatist Frederick Lonsdale was asked by Seymour Hicks to reconcile with a fellow member of the club. The two had quarrelled in the past and never restored their friendship. You must, Hicks said to Lonsdale, you must. It is very unkind to be unfriendly at such a time. Go over now and wish him a happy new year. So Lonsdale crossed the room and spoke to his enemy. I wish you a happy new year, he said, but only one. (laughs) Not quite the reconciliation we were looking for in that sense. We're looking for a deeper reconciliation that actually uh, really does bring healing and delight. And that's what reconciliation does do. When we reconcile, it brings healing and it brings delight. We're going to think about that today in the ministry of reconciliation. Here's Paul talks about this in the passage that we're now about to read. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 11 through to chapter 6, verse 2. Okay, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others... But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is about and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time, now is the day of salvation. Father, we thank you 
And we thank you and we praise you that we get this uh, great privilege to come this morning to open up your living and eternal word. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and bring power to this word, open up our hearts to understand it, uh, to receive it, but not only to do that, Lord, but to change us. And maybe today, Lord, maybe just today, uh, we would ask and pray for those who are not yet believers in Christ. Maybe they've been coming to this church for years and years and years. Maybe this is their first time to exchange church. We ask that the gospel would come today and open up their eyes to see the beauty and the wonder of Christ because today is the day of salvation. Father, we ask that. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this passage we just read, I was studying through the week and it's just filled with such rich good news for humanity. As I looked at it through the week and reflected on it, um, all I could see there was just lots of stuff like wonder and hope and glory and excitement as I was reading through this. Every time I sort of read and saw more and more stuff, it just sort of saw more of Christ as it were leaping off the pages to me, just sort of jumping out as I saw the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in and through that passage. But for us though, often humans, uh, war and tensions are a constant thing in our lives. I'm not talking necessarily about the war and tensions we see on TV because we see plenty of that between various countries around the world. I'm talking more about the small-scale war and tensions in our own lives that happen in the very little moments of life. Uh, Laurel and I had one of those little moments just the other day, actually. Uh, we were trying to sit down and work a few dates out on the calendar for things happening next year. And, of course, I brought my set of ideas into the calendar and Laurel brought her set of ideas into the calendar and we were going in different directions on the calendar at that particular moment. Now, we love each other and are really committed to that. We do. <laughs> we love each other and are really committed to that, but the love wasn't all that evident during that time as we discussed the calendar. There was tension there. There was difference. We needed to be reconciled. That's all right, though. Marriages, marriages are made stronger through those moments. All of those tensions in life, in the little moments, can easily, though, ramp up out of control and they can actually become to a war mode if we don't actually stop them in their tracks. A war can break out. Now, you might think that's a pretty big turn there, but really that's what happens if you don't sort of stop those things in the tracks and address them. It goes from a little tension to all-out war. This is happening all around us, about us in, in relationships. There is relationship tension. Uh, the Bible tells us that these tensions and wars are the result of our turning our backs upon God and living life our own way. All of this behaviour that results in these tensions and wars is called sin, which has as its roots cause us defying God as our rightful sovereign creator. And in a very real sense, the Bible tells us, uh, or sees us at war with God ourselves because we refuse to live according to his right instructions for us. It tells us this in Romans chapter 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh, so it's set on me and my way of living, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. It refuses to. The Bible says there in very graphic terms, it's hostile. We don't actually want to do what God wants us to do. So when we get this idea of our hostilities, not only to each other but primarily to God then we can really see the beauty of what Paul is talking here in this passage about reconciliation. Because that's what reconciliation is. It's, it's 
uh, parties at odds or warring parties actually coming back together and uh, declaring peace between each other. So as we think about this passage today, here's where we're going to go. Paul is on a, miss- a mission, Melissa message, that's coming. Paul is on a mission of reconciliation. We want to look at his motivation, his message, the blessings of that message and also the implications and urgency of that message as well as we think about Paul here talking to us about the ministry of reconciliation. Firstly, Paul's motivation. What's driving Paul here uh, for this mission of reconciliation, of trying to bring warring parties back together again? In this sense, it's actually bringing people to God for the peace that he uh, offers and provides. I believe the first thing here that Paul tells us here that he's driven by as a motivation for this mission of reconciliation is a holy fear of God. Look in verse 11, the first part, what does Paul tell us? He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, Paul's saying, I know the fear of the Lord, I seek to persuade others. Paul is driven by the understanding of a just and a holy God as he carries out this mission of reconciliation. Paul understands that we've offended an infinitely holy God, so now we face infinite justice. He gets that. He knows that. He sees that. Paul is fearfully aware of God's perfect justice and his right willingness to punish all rebellion against him, as a right, just, holy God should do. Paul says, knowing that that God will punish all those who rebel against Him and reject Him, I seek to persuade others to be reconciled to God. That's Paul's first motivation. His second motivation, though, is this, and it's in verse 14. And the start of verse 14 says this, For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. Not only does Paul have a right sense of God's justice, which is really important for us all to get, but Paul is also filled with the love of Christ as well. Love motivates Paul. Love drives Paul. Love moves Paul as well. What does Paul have here? Paul has balance. He has balance. He has the holiness of God firmly in one hand and he has the love of Christ firmly in the other hand. This is motivating him and driving him on in this mission of reconciliation. He's got an appreciation and understanding of who God is, holy and just, and so he should be, and loving at the same time. Paul's got this balance. It's a balance we should strive to have as well in this growing in this knowledge of God, particularly as we carry out this mission of reconciliation. It's God's holiness and His justice, but also God's love. Paul's got a message as well that he brings to these people, this message of reconciliation. And for Paul, it's always been for him the same. Paul, you could say, is on a one-track mind when it comes to this message. For Paul, it's always been about the cross of Jesus Christ. He will not stray from that message. Here we see it three times in this passage. Verse 14, he says this, uh, For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Jesus has died for all, therefore all have died. And again in verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. How, could, how did God do that? Because they, He put them upon Christ, the death of Christ. And again, in verse 21, for our sake He made Him to be sin, this is Jesus, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 
all referring back to the cross of Christ, the death of Jesus. Jesus Christ's death on the cross for our sins to satisfy an infinitely holy God is the message, is the message. Jesus, the Son of God, perfect in every way, was our substitute. He took our place upon that cross. Jesus bore the wrath of God, the right wrath of God, towards our sins. Paul doesn't stray from that. He doesn't move away from that. He keeps circling back to that. You can sort of see, when you see that jumping out sort of two or three times there, you can see how this passage here is filled with glorious good news. Really good news. And that's what the word gospel means. It means good news. This is the best news you could ever possibly hear. What Christ has done for us uh, to reconcile us and make us well. Infinitely and holy and just God loves us so much that He sends His one and only Son to save us and to reconcile us and bring Him uh, back to us in perfect relationship. Paul never tired of that message. You just keep reading right through the New Testament. He keeps circling back to the cross time and time again. He never doubted the power of that message. He knew that was what the Spirit worked through to bring salvation to people's hearts and minds. For Paul, it was all about Jesus and it was all about the message of the Gospel to bring reconciliation, to bring peace between warring parties. That's Paul's motivation, that's Paul's message. But Paul also here would show us these amazingly deep and rich blessings that come out of this message of reconciliation. Firstly, salvation. Salvation. We are saved from God's wrath, we are saved from God's righteous judgment. We see it in verse 19, uh, about partway through, it says there, that is in, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. We are saved from our trespasses, our sins or our evil deeds. Christ has taken them. When we turn to Christ and believe in what He's done at the cross, God removes all of our trespasses, doesn't count them against us, wipes the debt clean, the bill has been paid, it no longer sits or stands against us. There is no record there. God sees us as innocent, pure and clean. And in verse 21, this really picks us up beautifully for us. Let's read that again. For our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In an action fully undertaken by God, this is what happens at conversion for us. God, as it were, takes our life here of sinful thoughts, sinful deeds, sinful words, anything we've done that's evil or wrong or rebellion or rejected towards God, takes all of that and He just places it upon Christ. Jesus wears all of that. And at the same time, in this action here, God, as it were, takes the perfection of Jesus Christ, His glory, His splendour, His perfection in living a perfect life, He takes that and puts that onto us. It's an exchange. It's an exchange of what takes place at the cross. For Him who knew no sin, He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this about 500 years ago the Great Exchange. Because that is a great exchange. All of our sinfulness taken off us and put onto Christ and Christ's righteousness given to us so that now God sees us through the perfection of Jesus Christ. I reckon that's a great name for a church. The Exchange Church. 
That's the reason why we call it Exchange Church, because it actually says something about what the gospel does. Now, words can't put that into value of what that blessing is. We, we can't possibly describe how amazing it is. I mean, we can't even understand how that's taken place other than we just believe that it has taken place, what God has done. We in our limited minds can't perceive of just how glorious that is. When I say that is the greatest news you can ever hear, we can sort of sit there and say ho-hum to some extent. Our limited minds can't conceive of that. We can't, we can't really comprehend the inexpressible gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Now, in glory, that will be totally different. In glory, we will see just how great that exchange was and we will be blown away by that, not just the first time we comprehend it, but forever and forever we will keep being blown away by this incredible exchange that has taken place that sees us saved and rescued as a blessing that flows out of reconciliation. There's another beautiful blessing here that flows out of this gospel reconciliation. It's found in verse 17. And many of you have read this before and have gone back to it time and time again. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Let me explain it first and then we're going to dig a little bit deeper into it here as we, uh, as we think about what Paul is saying. Paul's saying this, if you trust in Christ, you're born again. You've become a new person. You are brand new on the inside. The outside doesn't change, but the inside has changed. Your old life in the past is dead. It's no longer able to condemn you. You're a new creation, the old has passed away. Now, if there's one thing that I think most people are, uh, are affected by, probably all people are, and what we are dogged by is our past, isn't it? It's amazing how the past comes back to really disturb us and upset us. There are things that we have done or been involved in in the past that have just been downright foolish wrong, perhaps evil and sinful. We can think of those things, they come back to our minds. Whether it's been in being involved with bullying and belittling others at school back in your early days or some of you could be still maybe doing that now, hopefully not, or we've told lies to hurt people because we just set out to hurt them, told lies about them, gossiped, or maybe we've been involved with sexual affairs before marriage or even during marriage with other people, or maybe you've just had an inappropriate relationship with somebody and you've just stepped over the boundaries. Or maybe you've been involved with nasty, hateful behaviour towards others and you've just given them a spray to vent out all of your anger or whatever it was, and you call them every name you could possibly think of in the heat of that moment. That sort of stuff in the past comes up and it dogs us at times, doesn't it? It just dogs us. Actually, today, uh, and we're all aware of this too, there are people who are paid to dig up dirt from the past to try and pull down other people's professional careers, particularly in the political sphere. They'll go out and they'll trawl through all sorts of social media and videos from years and years going back to try and find some dirt from the past to try and bring somebody down. The past haunts us. It comes back. Maybe that's you today. 
Maybe that's you. This could be your first time here at Exchange. And if it is, we are glad you're here. We love to have visitors at Exchange. We love to welcome new people to come here to discover who Christ is. But maybe you're thinking right now about the past and some of those things are coming right back and guilt is overwhelming you. Stick with us here as we bring about the message of reconciliation. The gospel, though, speaks powerfully into our past when we are reconciled to God. What does the gospel say here about the past? The old has passed away. The old has passed away. When we are born again, there's this extraordinary thing that has happened. Everything that has taken place in the past, God has forgiven and will never, ever hold against us. All of our sins, all of our wrongdoing before God, past, present, future, because we still will do some wrong things going into the future. It's forgiven by Jesus Christ. It's forgiven by what he's done. This is gospel comfort. This is gospel security that is spoken over us by Christ in what he's done. But knowing that, here's what can happen at times. We can't actually undo or erase those memories from the past, can we? It's like they're indelibly etched in 4K digital display. It's just sitting there and it's like it's stored away in the back of our minds, these unwanted feelings these unwanted experiences and it's the, they're just stored away in the memory banks of our mind. And it's amazing how quickly, it's, it's, it's staggering how quickly sometimes something happens that's like a trigger and it just seems to bring that image right to the front of your mind again. And it's like it's on video replay right there. And you can feel like you're just back there again going through that past experience. And then Satan comes along and he takes hold of that because he's seeing what's happening there to some extent. He takes hold of that and he's just pouring upon you guilt and shame and condemnation as this past is sort of being replayed in your mind right there and then on the spot. It comes flooding back. And maybe through that, if you're experiencing that or going through that, maybe in that particular point you begin to doubt, am I even saved? Does God really love me? Has he really forgiven me for that which happened in the past? These thoughts can sort of come through our minds as this past comes back to, to haunt us. And it seems like sometimes these things happen, it's perhaps my experience in my life, it comes when you're at the lowest point of your life, these past memories come flooding back and it's like it's there to just grind you into the ground, to just sink you lower and lower there. What does the gospel say here about that? Let's pick up those first few words. It says this, If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, what does in Christ mean? It's a seriously powerful statement that Paul makes there. If anyone is in Christ, in Christ, I've been clothed in his righteousness. I've been robed in the righteousness or the perfection of who Jesus Christ is. That's upon me. So it's not about my performance today because my performance is weak and faulty. I'm striving to be better, but at the same time, I know my performance is weak and faulty. It's not about my performance. It's about Jesus' perfect performance once and for all achieved for me at Calvary. So when the past comes to haunt me, 
I remind myself I'm clothed in the perfection of Christ. That's how God sees me. He sees me now as um, the perfection of Jesus Christ. In Christ, I'm safe and secure. John 10, 27, 28 tells us this, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. When the past comes back to haunt me and all this video replay starts again of all the stuff that I've done, I remember that the sin of the past is forgiven and that the past cannot snatch me out of Jesus' hand. It can't remove me out of Jesus' hand. Jesus says, all that the Father give me, none can snatch them out of my hand. I am safe and secure in Christ. I can't do anything about the past except ask for forgiveness and say sorry for those who I've hurt. And I leave it at the foot of the cross knowing that Jesus has dealt with that past once and for all there and then in that perfect sacrifice. In Christ, I'm not defined by my past. It's happened. I can't deny it. But it doesn't define or dictate who I am today. What defines me today is Jesus Christ. That is my identity in Christ. I'm still Todd Hall, but my identity is in Christ, not in my past. It's in Him and who He is and what He's done for me. Paul says this to us in Philippians 3 about the past. He says this, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's beautiful, isn't it? Verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's not looking back to the past, we can learn lots of lessons from the past, but he's not looking back to the past as it were to dog him and to fill him with condemnation. He's pressing on looking to the forward in what Christ has called for him and made him to be, a new creation. There are, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The past does not condemn us. Now, it may keep rearing up, as we said before, and sometimes it does. It becomes like this unrestrained horse in our mind, kicking and bucking us into condemnation. We feel like we can't control it. We kept reliving that same old situation over and over again, feeling overwhelmed by it. Here's what we've got to do. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves. We've got to preach the gospel to our minds. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. The old life has been buried with Christ and it is gone. I'm living my new life now and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When that happens, you've got to stop listening to yourself and start speaking to yourself. Because when the past comes back, that's all we do, we just keep listening to that voice or that image or whatever it is, we just keep listening. Stop listening. Speak to yourself. Speak to yourself the truth and let the truth, as it were, 
dispel that condemnation, that guilt, that doubt and that fear. We spend far too much time, I think, listening to ourselves and letting ourselves get bogged down in those thoughts and those reliving those experiences instead of speaking to ourselves the truth of the gospel and what it really is. A great picture of this, I believe, is when we go through the waters of baptism. This reconciliation is really symbolised powerfully for us there. When we go down into the waters where we're in baptism, we're symbolising that we have died with Christ. Our old life has died with Him in the sense that He died for our sins upon the cross. We go down the waters and we are dying and identifying with Christ. And then when we rise up out of the water, what is it? We are rising to new life. It's a glorious picture here of what reconciliation does. Dying to Christ and then rising to new life to live with Him. Gloriously powerful gospel blessings of reconciliation that has been given to us by God through Jesus Christ. This carries, though, with it gospel implications. What does that mean for us? Reconciliation through Christ is a a wonderful blessing that we get as a new creation, but it brings with it also implications for us in our lives. In verse 15, we are told that we no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who died for us. No longer live for ourselves, but Him who died for us. How do we live then? Well, there's a few things Paul says in these next few verses. Uh, Verse 18, he says, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. We saw that before. Verse 19, we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. So the ministry and there's a message. In verse 20, we are told we are Christ's ambassadors making an appeal for reconciliation. There's three things that Paul's talking about there. There's a ministry that he has, a message that he has, and an appeal here as he talks about this reconciliation. Now, as I was studying this through the week, sometimes you might think, well, why didn't you stop at the end of verse 21, Todd? Because why did you go sort of read the next two verses in chapter 6? I felt the next two verses in chapter 6 actually uh, fitted in really well with where we're going. And as I saw that, and as I was thinking about Paul's ministry, Paul's message, and his appeal... I could see something standing out in those last few verses which was really important for me. And that is this, urgency. Urgency. Look in the last part of verse 20 there. It says there, Paul says, we implore you, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And read with me verses 1 and 2 and see what it says here. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favourable time I listened to you and in a day of salvation I've helped you. And Paul then says, behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There's a sense of urgency here with Paul as he speaks about this. I'm imploring you. I'm pleading with you. I'm appealing to you. Today is the day of salvation, he says. It's urgent. The gospel of reconciliation is an urgent message. There's no time to lose. Today is the day of salvation, Paul says. Paul is saying eternity is in the balance. Your eternal destiny is on the line here. Heaven and hell are real and literal, Paul says. It's urgent. Don't dilly-dally around. Don't play smart with God and think you're in control here. In the words of Christ, in the words of Paul, he says, be reconciled to Christ. Please come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. The Holy Spirit offers that call of peace right here, right now. Come. What are you waiting for? What's holding you back today? 
How much longer will you sit on the fence before you come? Take God's generous offer of salvation offered in Christ today. There's a sense of urgency here. And it's right, there should be urgency. God offers his reconciliation right now. It's urgent. As I thought about the urgency of the cross and the urgency of the, of the message of reconciliation, and I held that together with this idea of the motivation of justice and love and the, the message of the cross and salvation and transformation with the old gone and the new come and this urgency, I asked myself, how should that affect us today? How should I respond to that? Well, firstly, we should respond and say, Lord, I need saving, if you haven't already done that. But I think also, as I thought about that, this idea of urgency here warrants some sort of sacrifice as well. It warrants a sacrifice. As Paul's talking like this. You see, when something becomes urgent just like it has the last few days up in New South Wales and Queensland, there's a bushfire coming towards your home or your town. You don't wait to finish a game of cricket in the backyard, do you? You don't wait to finish the movie on the TV. You don't hang out one more load of washing on the washing line. It's urgent. You actually drop tools and you go. You do whatever's got to be done. Something happens and actually in that sense, you actually make sacrifices when things are urgent. You make a sacrifice. If we're convinced that this message of reconciliation is true and that the gospel has the power to transform us and that it's urgent, then we must be willing to sacrifice for that. What do I mean by that? The the urgency of the gospel will have us willing to gladly give our time, energy and resources so that the message of reconciliation goes far and wide. It's urgent, we want to do that. We'll sacrifice our time and energy and invest it into our friends who have not yet come to Christ by praying for them, praying that the scales would fall away from their eyes so they would see this gospel of reconciliation. We'll invest time and energy into that. We'll invest time and energy into having relationship with them and hoping to bring up the topic of Christ and lead the conversation towards the gospel because it's urgent. Reconciliation is urgent. It also means a a sacrifice of our resources that God has given to us as well as we help support the gospel and see it go out. Not only here in the Goulburn Valley and the Greater Shepherd area, but also our front lines, global missions overseas. We need to resource that. We need to see the gospel go out. We need to actually make sacrifices there so that my finances can contribute to the gospel to go. Now, we had a great annual general meeting on Thursday night where we spoke about the need now to move out of this building and to go into another building, looking for another place to worship together as believers. We're going to need to make a sacrifice of gospel generosity to see that happen. And why we make that sacrifice? Because it's urgent. It's urgent. People need to hear the message of reconciliation. As we become aware of the incredible sacrifice that Christ has made in reconciling us, we too want to go out now filled with that same love of Christ and knowing also that there's judgment waiting for those people who don't and that should give us the urgency to move forward. Where do we find the strength for this? It's, it's all right for me to stand up the front here and say these things but there's got to be something within me that, that actually motivates and moves me 
and grabs me. Well, it's here in this passage as well. It's probably just one of the most glorious five words you could ever read. Look with me in verse 18 here. What does Paul say in those first five words? All this is from God. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is earth-shattering. That is absolutely earth-shattering. All this is from God. We are beneficiaries, we are recipients of God who takes the prime role in reconciling. We're not actually looking to reconcile ourselves to God. God comes looking for us and he reconciles us back to himself. All this is from God. God first reaches out and calls me to be at peace with him. He takes the lead in wiping away all of my sin and my past debt and making me into a new creation. I read that as I did through the week and I want to sit there, I want to raise my hands and worship a generous God. All this from God. He would come and do this for me. All this from God. And that worship translates into life making urgency and sacrifice a part of my life as I take hold of here what he has done in this glorious message of reconciliation. Who could possibly refuse this in what Christ has done? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you as we come and we gather around your word today. We see this, Lord, and we want to just uh, lift our hearts in praise and in worship. Who are we? People at war with you. People who have rejected you. People who live self-centred lives. Who are you, Lord? You are holy and you are just. To be feared in that way. Filled with love. Sends your son into this world. Takes all of our filth, our evil, our sin upon himself. Your son gives us his perfect righteousness. We're just recipients. You've reconciled us. And now we enter into this glorious relationship where we can say, the old is past. It's dead, it's buried, it's gone. It may try and rise up out of that grave and haunt us again, but we can preach the gospel to it. And we can push it back down again. And behold, we are new creations today. And then we have this message of reconciliation that we can now take out into the world with urgency and a willingness to sacrifice. Because we look back and we say, all this from God. God, I pray today, please, please help us to apply that to our hearts. And may that, Lord, motivate us and move us on to see great things for your kingdom through the message of reconciliation. Father, I ask that today and I pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Dot is going to come now and uh, lead us around the communion table as we... um
celebrate that. I'd like to ask Stephen and Tom to uh, hand out the elements. Oh, Stephen and Lauren. Okay, thank you. Um, it's great that we can come together round the Lord's table. And we, as a church, are welcoming anybody who knows Jesus Christ as their saviour to join us. If you're not sure and you don't feel you want to, could you please just pass the tray of elements past? Todd shared with us an amazing passage of scripture about reconciliation and I'd like to share another one with you which I think complements it from the book of Colossians. The heading in my Bible to this little paragraph is the supremacy of Christ and that's what we want to look at today and as I read it I'd like you to just listen to all the things it's packed full of stuff about Jesus, about the things that he's done, about the um, things that he's going to do And I'd like you to pick those out in your mind. And if we had lots and lots of time, we could discuss them all, but we don't. So I'd just like you to listen to the scripture and let the word of God speak for itself. So Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Doesn't that contain some amazing things about Jesus? Talks about him being the image of God. Talks about him being present and active in creation talks about him as the head of the body, the church, all of God's fullness in him. Verse 20 talks about how he reconciles all things. And if you noticed in the passage, all things appeared six times. Talks about him giving peace through his blood. It talks about us in verse 22 being reconciled so that he can produce in us holiness, so that we're without blemish, so that we're free from accusation. And there's a condition to this reconciliation that we continue in our faith and the hope of the gospel. So as we come to the Lord's table, we want to look to that Jesus, the Jesus who's done all those things. So let's just pray together before we take the elements. Father, we thank you so much 
But because of Jesus, we have new life. We thank you for your body that was shed. We thank you for your blood. And now, Lord, as we come to take the elements, we pray that you'll help us to uh, focus again on what Jesus has done for us and to be thankful. Let's just take the bread together. And now let's drink the cup in remembrance of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Thanks, Doc. Um, we're just going to ask the team to come back up now and uh, 